Time to talk a little jazz basketball and look ahead to the 2022 season after a busy offseason. David Locke joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. David Locke, his weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, David. Good morning, Patrick. Hi. Beautiful blue sky. I can see the mountains again. No smoke. How's everybody? Uh, we're good, but we're wondering how the new partnership uh, with BYU is going to impact your partnership with Built Bar. Any forecast for that? Um, I think we've been good to Built Bar. Built Bar's been good to us. That usually keeps partnerships together. And there it is. They're just, yeah, gonna... just like my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by an uncomfortable silence. All right. <laughs> we've been good for each other. What's wrong with that? I hope for the best for you two, too. David, you have been on vacation, so we have not spoken to you about the many moves in the NBA. What move of all of these struck you as a championship move? Who did something you thought, well, they just helped themselves big time? Uh, That's interesting. I don't know if there was one other than people keeping themselves in contention, right? So um, Chris Paul... Um, though that's a big deal. Like, I think in the long run, that's probably good for everybody in the Western Conference. Phoenix is going to be hamstrung by that deal by the end of it. But they're, they're a title contender again this year, right? Like, um, I do, you know, I like the little tiny things they did around the edges. Um, I think they were going to be, they're going to be really, really good. So that to me made them, you know, continue to have them be a title contender. Um, Kawhi resigning for four, four years will probably mean that Paul George resigns eventually. And so the Clippers will, will for the next, you know, four years probably still be back up on top of, of the Western Conference. Um, the Warriors, I think, did some nice things in, in that clearly people want to be in Golden State and sign there. I think Otto Porter, for the minimum, seems like a pretty good deal, though he was pretty bad in his last stint. And the knee problems, are, he, he's not in the physical condition he used to be. So, um, you know, the question of whether or not, you know, he actually ever can get back, he's, he's almost on a Jabari Barker, Parker trajectory at this point. Um, so no, I don't think there were a lot. Like I thought Philadelphia, I can't remember what they were, but I thought, okay, re-signing Danny Green for $10 million and a few of their around the edges moves were really good, but nothing significant. I don't think Russell Westbrook changed the Lakers. In fact, I don't know that I think it makes them better. So um, I am not, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I don't think anyone, I don't think there's a great change. Like if you look at the, betting lines there's not some team that like suddenly is up there that didn't used to be it's it's right back with the lakers the nets and the bucks is the three teams the bucks added did something interesting the nets did some interesting things too they like just minor subtle things mills. They were, huh? mills yeah he's pretty old now um so i'm not you know uh, uh they didn't have much of a backup point guard to Kyrie Irving and Caruso, who just signed with someone today. Maybe the Warriors. Um, you know, is a nice player, and I guess Mills is probably better. But I think Patty's, you know, pretty deep on the dark backside. But yeah, I mean, it's hey, it's a veteran who knows how to play those guys. You know, Rudy Gay, same thing. It's like I'm not going to tell you Rudy Gay. I think makes the Jazz a championship team. He's just 30, turned 35 in five four days for 36. Like you just, but they just know how to play. They've been there. They've had all these experiences. They're certainly important. How about Whiteside? Pretty interested in this one. I mean, my natural instinct is that this is, you know, over the years has been a player who, like, for me, partially because he had a rivalry with Rudy, right? And 
you know, tried to claim he's on Rudy's level and was like, come on, like, what are you doing? Um, but you look at him in Portland, which is a team that plays almost, you know, they're not the same. And if I was around our coaching staff and said played identically basketball, they're the coaches of both sides, Terry Stotts, Quinn Snyder's staff so over the last few years would like come after me and be like, what the hell are you talking about? But kind of fundamentally, there's a lot of similarities. You know, you've got two scoring guards and you've got drop bigs, right? And, Hassan Whiteside in Portland two years ago was just flat out good. Like he just he he helped them. Um, there's been question marks about his kind of off off court stability, I guess you call it. Ever since he did a few high schools and a few colleges, and then came to Sacramento and to open his NBA career, if I remember correctly, and, yes. and then lasted like 14 games and then disappeared for like two years. And that label's been on him the whole time. You know, rightfully or wrongfully, I, I don't know. But talking to people in Portland, it was wrongfully. Their comments were that his teammates liked him, um, and that every, you know everyone enjoyed having him. Um, you know, watching him over the years, I haven't thought he's always been you know focused and plugged in as much as he needed to be every night. But we'll see. And frankly, the Jazz have a lot of options if he's not. But I do think it's pretty interesting, right? Like he's seven one, he's seven seven standing reach. Like you've you're not going to go get to the rim 48 minutes of seven, seven or longer standing reach. Like you're just not going to go get to the rim against us. And that's a huge analytical advantage on the defensive end. We're pl- we play a style that is, I think should match to him perfectly. If he can do it, you know, we, we move our bigs on the pick and roll, but we don't trap. We don't double team. We, we really play the simplest defensive style in the world, which is, you know, basically drive your guy to Rudy and let him protect the rim and force him into two, you know, mid range twos. Um, again, oversimplifying, and and then on the offensive end, like he's like when you look at his pick and roll numbers over the years, like with guards that are similar to Donovan or Mike Conley or Joe Ingles, it's pretty good. One point one points per pick and roll, which is really good. And he's you know out there with some of the you know with Dame and those guys, and he was good with Wade. And and then the final one I have is just and this is just he put, spent five years in Miami, like and I get by the end of Miami. People there were really frustrated with him because Bam out of Bayou was really good. So it wasn't like they wanted more Bam and less Hassan Whiteside. But on the other end, like, if you're a total knucklehead, you're not spending five years in Pat Riley's system. So I'm pretty intrigued by it, and I think it's going to be an upgrade. Derek last year, just I, I just think it was glaring every time he came in the game how much people just went and attacked the rim. And it's just because he's 6'9 compared to 7'2. Well, we don't have that anymore. I also think the other thing with Favors is, you know, wearing the heat pack on the side and having the back issues. You know, he, even though he wasn't as big, he was athletic enough when he was younger and healthier, so compensated for that. But when he tells you after a game, I just couldn't get loose and move. And then the next night he does, he says, I just feel differently. I just think that's, you know, that's an indicator of where that's trending. And obviously he was way more expensive than Whiteside. So I think getting to Whiteside, the question is, he was 30 years old. He was in Portland. He was playing with uh, a superstar player, another star player on a good team, and he was engaged. He went to Sacramento, and he probably looked around at some point and thought, what are we doing, and became disengaged, at which point the coaches are like, what are we doing with this 31-year-old guy who just isn't, isn't all in? So I can see how that could break down that way. Or, hey, he's 31, and he's starting to lose a step, and if you're a big guy who doesn't move well, you're going to get exposed, and it's going to be hard for coaches to play you. And yeah, I think, so there's a bunch of Which of, of those stories is true. Right. I mean, I think on all three, on Favors and Whiteside, what you just said, DJ, I'm going to go all over the map. There were quotes from the players that told us this. So, 
Like the first thing on Derek was it just always was bizarre to me that opening press conference he had where he was just like, Yeah, I'm fine, like I'll come play fifteen minutes a night. I was like, Whoa, why? Like it just was weird to me. Like you just mm-hmm. don't hear I love Derek and maybe he was love for Utah, maybe New Orleans was so bad, maybe it was personal, right? There's got there's a reason. I'm not criticizing the choice and from our standpoint it was great. We got favors and basically traded Derek Favors for a first round draft pick in the long run, which is a great trade. But it was just an interesting moment to me in his opening press conference where he was like, Yeah, I'm I'm ready to come here and just you know, I'll play fifteen, twenty minutes a night to the and like even when he said it, I was like, You know, I'm learning fifteen, twenty to be played. And it was just a bizarre thing. It was like just like it didn't seem like basketball had a lot to do why Derek came back. Just I don't know what was going on in his life or how bad New Orleans was or whatever, but it just didn't line up. The second one was Derek's comment in the playoffs when he was so good, and I interviewed him, and I asked him, like, you know, he's like, well, it's just the playoffs. And I was like, well, then what were you doing in the regular season? Like, is your body just... So both these things just led me to believe that Derek's body is just fighting him so badly at this point in his career that, like, he's just going to ramp it up for, like, that moment he has to. Well, that's hard. Um... So I think so. White said an interesting comment in his press conference about where he said, I'm excited to like the game again. So last year clearly sucked. Um, It's not great to have a player like disengage with a game, like when that's your profession. But it was interesting that he said that. Like that tells me that that's why I'm kind of stemming back to his Portland and Miami years and just kind of wiping Sacramento off the table. Um, And I don't have – endless respect for everything that's going on in Sacramento. So that's pretty easy for me to do. Um, and so therefore that's where I'm pretty optimistic on what I think Whiteside can probably do um, for the jazz. And also just think the, like the, your point, the minimum contract is like, that's a pretty like 200 and what 58 starts in his career or something for a minimum contract. That's pretty great. So I'm looking at a story written by Dan Fillman and he's got the jazz in facing a nearly $39 million luxury tax liability uh, as it stands now with their roster set and obviously they didn't trade those guys from Bogdanovich making 18 and a half down to Royce uh, I think about just under nine and Joe's in the 13 14 range you think that they're prepared to go ahead and do this and and pay this bill as we head on into the season I mean I think that bills do you understand how that you pay luxury tax too do you guys all know this explain it one check, one day. Got to have a little liquidity. You got to have a little bonus cash sitting over million dollars of liquidity on a day. To be clear, a lot of these people who are very wealthy who own teams, their money isn't in cash. It's in assets. But, it's, a, it's a mix well, around the league. Some people have right, no liquidity. Have, some have some and some have a lot. Let's say you have unbelievable liquidity. Let's say you have $100 million of liquidity, which would be a crazy number, right? You yeah. just gave away 40% of it. And that's at the end of the season, right? I think it's July 1, yeah, usually on the on the calendar. And that's a crazy number. Yeah. The other thing is the number, your luxury tax number does not hold until the end of the season. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So here's, here's what really matters. What's our record January 1st? Right. Like, let's be really honest about it. We're 25 and 25. Or January 1st, we would be 15 and 15. And Ryan Smith is staring a $40 million check, and we're a 500 team. Time to make moves. We're 25 and 5. Then he's making a $40 million luxury tax payment for, the champ- for a run of championship. 
It's incredible. It's insane. It's like, I'm not one who thinks of the luxury tax as some piece of bravado. And in fact, as a jazz fan, it was super interesting to me to watch some of the reaction by jazz fans on kind of the self, like this inward bubble rather than looking outward when like the jazz made the favors deal, which was clearly a luxury tax deal and even kind of trade the first round pick, which was clearly luxury tax, like makes sense to do that when you're in the tax. The tax is the best thing that's ever happened to the Utah jazz. Because? So the fact that we're victimized, but fine, who are the rules, but it's the only reason we have a chance is because the luxury tax forces the Lakers to sign a bunch of million dollar players instead of seven million dollar players. And forces the Nets to do the same thing in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Now, like, if the le- the league put in this collective bargaining agreement system, I think this is the single most untalked about story in the league. The league put in this collective bargaining agreement, whatever it was now, eight, eight nine years ago. There was a weird TV bubble bump in the middle that allowed for Kevin Durant to sign with the Warriors. We've had four different champions in four years. I think we have what eleven legitimate title contenders next year when the year starts. This isn't the NBA I grew up with, right? And. If Kevin Durant had stayed in Oklahoma City, I think we'd probably have had seven champions in the last eight years since collective bargaining agreement started. So if Ryan Smith has to dump a contract here because $40 million in a single payment on July 1st is outrageously prohibitive for the richest people in the world, that's the system that's allowing the Jazz to be in competition to win. And so while, yes, it's painful to us, but, and people somehow turn this like a lack of commitment, it's not a br- moment of bravado to throw away your money in a ridiculous manner. It's a system that's allowed for mass competition across the board, and we are the biggest winners of it of all. So the fact that it costs us saves, like, that's too bad, but that's the system. And frankly, when the Jazz were making all their moves for the last two years, you were watching it if you were paying attention to the salary cap. Going, okay, this is, this is somewhat crazy. Like, you can't have favors, O'Neal, Ingles, Bogdanovich, Clark. You can't do it all. It just doesn't work that way anymore, which is the beauty of the system because it keeps us with a chance to stay in it. I mean, the Bucks had to give – the Bucks two years ago gave let Malcolm Brogdon go, who was like their second-best player because the tax was going to be too crazy. So this comes to the point that you've always have to be drafting well and developing players. You don't have to find them in the draft if you find Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles overseas, so be it. But you have to have inexpensive players in your rotation. Uh, And I suppose for a while you can bring them in as veterans as long as you've got a really good team. But are there any young guys who are about to break into the rotation? Or can I look at the roster right now and assume that I can anticipate 95% of Quinn Snyder's decisions? So I'm not sure I agree with your premise there. Because the truth is, if you're good, your draft picks aren't very good. And so you do have to find Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles, who over time develop. But, if, like, in the playoffs last year, what first-round draft pick in the last – I don't know, I'm actually doing this off the top of my head. Was there a first-round draft pick in the last two or three years that contributed for any of the final four, final eight teams? Uh, to your point, even if I can't think of one now, there aren't very many. So the odds are against you. Bridges and Aiton. Okay, yeah, so Bridges is three years out. He contributed. That's a great pick. Aiton's Same. Three, four, three or four? Three years yeah, out. Luca, so. obviously. Right, Trey Young, obviously. But that's like your 
drafting one through three, right? Bridges is a great pick. Philadelphia just, or Phoenix just nailed that. Um, and then Clippers had Terrence Mann as a second round pick. We had nobody. Denver has Michael Porter Jr. Had but, a great pick. Yeah. Uh, Brooklyn had Bruce Brown, maybe if he's still in his third year, second round pick for Detroit on Miami. I'm probably forgetting someone when doing this off the top of my head. But so at this point, they don't have to right. develop. But at this point, they don't have to develop young guys. You think as long as you can get veterans who can play at the minimum, it serves the same purpose. Right. I actually think that's, Frank. you know, they're not that much. The young guys aren't that much cheaper than the veteran minimum right. players. And they're not that much better when you're drafting it. 20 and 30 and things like that. Like, um, you know, you have the outliers, right? Um, frankly, Donovan's just in his fourth year. So, he's you know, he's close to counting in this conversation. Um and there was somebody, Philadelphia has Fiebel, who's contributing. Um, frankly, though, Philadelphia's youth, I think, is what their problem still is. Like, I think they're caught. Their way, their roster's built a little bit right now is with two very young stars. They don't, I didn't think they had enough Danny Greens around them. Like, that's, they would probably solve some of their problems if they had a few more vets floating around the team. So when you look at the situation with the guy, teams getting better in offseason moves and it's debatable, uh, how much uh, in terms of getting guys back from injury, and I'm looking at specifically Denver and the Warriors as far as them being able to move up. So I I can't tell on the like, do we think Jamal Murray and Kawhi Leonard are going to play? Like ACL's kind of become like an 18, 12 to 18 month deal in the NBA now, right? Yeah, I have low expectations for Murray because his was a complete tear. I don't know when they say a partial tear of Kawhi. I don't know what that means. It may not mean anything. It may mean it may be physically just as devastating as a complete tear. I don't know that. So it's hard for me to guess on Kawhi. The thing is, Kawhi has taken so long with injuries, maybe because he's been nursing a partial tear for a long time. I wouldn't rule that out. I don't know that, but I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but I, I always expect him to sit quite a bit, so... You know, are they going to be back at the 50-game mark next year? Well, they might be at the 50-game mark just with that roster by itself. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are going to win 50 games in the West next year, and that's a lot of games. But Phoenix, L.A., Utah, L.A., Denver, Dallas. How about the Warriors? Warriors. Though? Okay. Seven, seven teams should win 50 next year. Maybe nobody wins 55. And the, you know, it, it doesn't feel like there's anybody in the West right now other than Houston and Oklahoma. Like Houston and Oklahoma City feel like they're about to win 14 games. And that will, you know, you're, you know, what's interesting is when you start breaking down the schedule, like I think going 4-0, and like the little things are going to matter here when the schedule comes out in a week or two is like who are you only playing three times? Like if you get unlucky and only play, if we get Oklahoma, we're guaranteed to get Oklahoma City four times. If we get Houston only three times, like, oh. And frankly, like for all of the, like Portland, with let's not forget that Portland with Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum, Norman Powell, and Yusuf Nurkic um, were the best offensive team in the NBA. They were the number one offense in all the NBA. Like I think they're a fifty-win team too. There's eight fifty-win playoff teams in the Western Conference, and I think they could be divided between fifty and fifty-five. There's no way they'll be eight fifty-win teams. Uh, of course not, but. I like, get your point. There's the potential there. What I was saying, though, was more 50 games into the season, a little mm-hmm. past halfway, are they going to be back playing every game? I don't think Murray will be. Maybe Kawhi can, but I don't know that he yeah. will. And so then, and then, 
So I love everyone loves Clay Thompson and everyone loves and the Clay Thompson narrative is fabulous and he's sat on a kayak in the ocean and it's really cool and he's just the coolest dude alive and he's like <laughs> one of the league's favorite players of all the players. And he's just awesome and so everyone's rooting for him. But has anyone like stopped and thought about what he's doing? Like he hasn't played in what, two and a half seasons now? Off an ACL and Achilles tendon on the same leg? Yeah. Do we really do we really think are we have we reached a I mean Kevin Durant just you know medical miracle last year. Um have we really reached a medical point where you can do that because if you can that's amazing. But last month when I was down in California for Pac-12 Media Day, I saw on the strand in Manhattan Clay Thompson riding a bike and he looked good. Well, that's you know, I saw him kayaking in the ocean. He looked awesome. <laughs> I can't one-up you guys. I haven't seen him, except on TV and clips. I mean, I think... um, So... And then, you know, kind of to our point, like, we're all going to fall in love with the Warriors because they have Wiseman and Kamunga and Moody. And so they've done... It's interesting what they've done is they've taken these three young picks and their draft picks, and they may have built themselves they're going to be good for a while. I I don't think those three guys are going to help them win a game right now. Kevin Pelton always talks about, like, this and it's such a great thing. Kevin Pelton says the number one statistical mistake that he sees are when a player's injury going to the draft and a team lets him slide because he's not going to play the first year. And his point is like there's two percent of players in the draft that end up ever giving you a positive wins above a placement level player in the first year of the NBA. The ones magic like, none of them contribute to wins in their first year. They're all awful. The league's too hard. So having Blake Griffin or Michael Porter Jr. or even Nick Collison sit out for a year before they play actually shows an increase in their trend for wins above replacement level than a player actually played their first year and got overwhelmed. Like, let them watch, let them weight train, let them work. Like, there's a whole concept of redshirting in the NBA that's never been talked about that actually statistically makes total sense. So while we all are going to love Kaminga and Mood, and we're going to talk about them matching how they look around you know, Clay and Steph and Draymond, I'm not sure that that actually vibes at all. Like, I think I might put them as the eighth of the eight, even with as great as Steph is. Because I just can't really believe that Clay is going to be okay, and I just don't really believe those young kids are going to help them in, in this next season. Their championship rosters were underrated. Is Draymond Green as good as he was then? So have they no. taken a hit there? And Igudala and guys like Livingston off the bench. I mean, it's not – there's no celebrity power yeah. there, but they're good basketball players, and they just don't have that many good basketball players right. now. Right. And, and they were doing some things the rest of the league wasn't doing, and the league's caught up. The one I think is fascinating, and obviously it's going to be the must-watch team of the year, is the Lakers. Because I'm looking at them on paper – and my analysis of them on paper is they have to be the best defensive team in the league so that they can get misses so they can run, and then when they run, you're dead. Because, right, you got Westbrook, LeBron, AD, and transition, it's over. But the pieces they put around the fringes are all old, right? Yeah. So now you're saying, okay, well, I need a 33 and older team to run every possession, which to me seems... Hard. Second thing is, there's as much as we all love transition and playing early and all these things, and the analytics show it's better. There's actually just a limit to it, right? Like you just 
just only so many position, possessions that you actually get to run on. They're off misses and turnovers and some things like that. But it's like if you look at the amount of possessions in the NBA that are in transition over the last 20 years, there's just there's a peak. Like you, you don't get over like 20% of your possessions in transition. So like for the other 80 possessions, what are they doing in the half court? And how are they going to score? I just don't see it. And then the other one is like, they are going to be somewhat unbelievable in the sense that like Westbrook's, their team is, is Dwight Howard at center, 7-1, Anthony Davis 7 at their 2, LeBron James as their 3 at 6-9, Russell Westbrook massive as their point guard, and I guess Taylor Horton Tucker or someone of that sort as their shooting guard is pretty big. So, I mean, their mammoth, like trying to score them in the half court out of size is is going to be brutal, but like the minute they play Carmelo and the minute they play Russ, like these are bad defense players, one on one, unless they're engaged. And I just can't imagine that they're going to be that engaged. So I don't, I don't quite. They'll make the playoffs, and then they'll. I don't know. I just don't see it actually. I don't even think they'll be that much of a beast in the playoffs because then your possessions and transition are down to fifteen percent. So I, you know, have I've eaten a lot of crow over the Lakers over the year because I think I willed them to be bad, and I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Stay consistent. Well, I mean, like, it's interesting, their championship year, which I'm not asterisking at all in the bubble, I think it's totally incredible, but, like, they had a glaring weakness that year. They were 22nd in the league in half-court offense. And so, like, I kept waiting in the playoffs for them to play a good team defensively. And if you go look at their run, I don't think they played an above-average defensive team in their playoff run until they got to Miami. And then Miami and everybody hurt. So, like, they win the title, they deserve it. I'm not saying that. They just... They didn't ever saw have to deal with the issue that that they had that I thought was their weakness. Like this is the NBA now. Sorry, now you got me on. A, sorry, Jake, your breaks are screwed here. <laughs> this is the NBA now. To to wrap up our whole conversation, there are ten or eleven title contenders. Everyone's got like a twelve, thirteen. The best of those ten or eleven teams have like an eighteen percent, twenty percent chance to win the title, and the least of those have like a ten percent. And it depends your route. Two years ago. The Los Angeles Lakers won the title because they didn't play a top-10 defensive team in the route. Had they, I think they lose. This year, the Lakers, while injured, also played a top-5 defensive team and looked terrible. The Phoenix Suns make it this year because they played a route that got them there. We lost this year because we ended up running into the team that could do the thing that is our bugaboo. Our bugaboo is if you can, if Rudy's off the floor, we're terrible defensively, and if while Rudy's on the floor, you can negate him, we're terrible defensively. Like, but there's only one team in the West that could have done that to us. The Milwaukee Bucks, who've had a 15% chance to win the title, maybe even higher with the best record in the Eastern Conference for two of the last three years, ran into a Miami team that before Giannis had fully developed and they'd made some changes on their roster and Chris Middleton had taken the next step when they switched one through five with all athletic guys, similar to the way we did last year, looked just awful and got swept and beat by by Miami in the bubble. The year before that, they ran into you know whatever loss they had. And if you look back, it's a matchup. And this year... They didn't have that problem, right? They they got a beaten up early Miami team, and Philadelphia is the team to me that causes them huge problems because they put Joel and beat at the rim, and Giannis can't get there, and Ben Simmons can guard Giannis, and that's a terrible matchup for for Milwaukee if they have to play Philadelphia, and and so or an elite level three point shooting team is how Milwaukee loses because they end up allowing, you know, they're willing to allow all these threes. They didn't run into either of those teams this year. So to me, what we have in the NBA now is. 10 teams to 11 teams with a range from like 20% to 10% to win a title. And, you know, I think, I feel like Milwaukee had 14% chance, 18% chance each of the last three years. And they got one of the three, which is kind of what the odds would say would happen. 
PK's horrified because he just watched me eat a whole box of built bars during that answer. <laughs> <laughs> There's those are big eighteen. That's eighteen bars right there. They, they're generous with their size. Oh, their he, he can do it. I can do it. I can throw down food during commercial break. So, well, that answer was long enough that you should have been able to like finish a happy meal. <laughs> All right, David. Uh, Jake is really worried that we now have more minutes of commercials than we have time left in the show. So we should probably go. So you mean I'm never allowed to do 9 o'clock in the morning ever again? No, no. I enjoyed it. And I knew it was going to go like this because you hadn't been on for a couple weeks. And we'd had a couple conversations. And I knew you were going to get him in. And I thought, oh, he's not going to get it. No. And then there it was right in that last answer. It was beautiful. Can I, can, can I leave nope. you with a little, like, nope. quick big picture thought on life that I'd like to share today? Oh, boy. Um, just And then it'll be, it'll, you'll be like, oh. Um, for all the people out there that own restaurants and all the waiters out there, and all the managers out there. Could you please, as owners, train your staff, and managers train your staff, and as a staff member, please take allergies seriously? Because ending my birthday in the emergency room last night, because the chef hadn't communicated to the staff that they had pistachios in a meal, was not the greatest way to end a birthday yesterday. So if people could please take food allergies really, really seriously if they're in the food business, I'd greatly appreciate it, and so would all of us that have this issue. Thank you, David. See you. <laughs> David Locke on the NBA, restaurant food, and built bars. Right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. I had a discussion with my buddy once. What would be your least desired position to play in team sports? Punt returner might be it. <laughs> Where your job is to field a fly ball like you're playing center field and have tackle. 11 <laughs> maniac elite athletes who want to remove your head from your body. Arrive like a split second after the ball. It's like catching a fly ball on the freeway. Yes, sounds like a terrible job. If you can think about another tweet at us, a position that you'd least want to play in all of team sports. Or you could include individual sports if there's some danger in I don't want to hold the target on the archery range. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to catch the javelin. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Time to get you up to speed. Anything you missed in this show, if you're just joining us late here in the 9 o'clock hour, Blaine Fowler, BYU football basketball analyst on BYU TV, joined us. Your big takeaway from talking to Blaine. He agrees with you. He's a smart guy. <laughs> That's how we decide who's smart in this world. Anytime you hear anyone in your life, anyone in your life, friend, family, work, wherever, ah, person's really smart, you know they just agreed with them about some issue. Well, we talked about a couple of issues about uh, this Bill Bar thing. To me, it's, it's a message that BYU sends to the rest of the college football world. We play big-time football. This thing going into effect July 1, here we are six weeks later, we got this revolutionary thing to award walk-ons and give some players some extra money too on top of what they're going to getting with the cost of attendance and whatever side deals they can come up with. So we're in it, man. We're going to be here and we're not going away and talk to us about joining your conference because we're really good. And I think that's important. And also too... I think this is really a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, every season is important, so it's not that. But I think we get an idea, a strong, strong idea, I mean, even beyond an idea. I think we get some evidence. Has Kalani Sataki built the program? 
Now, I totally agree with what Blaine is saying. If you go 9-3, and three, that's an outstanding year. It may not have been in the 80s or what have you. But now, today, if they go 9-3, and three, I think that is an excellent season. And then if you do that, and 8-4 and four is pretty good, too. Uh, those are my two numbers. If they go 10, well, obviously, fantastic. And so... And it also sends a message that if they can accomplish that, he's built the program. And we know at BYU, with missions and all, it takes a bit. Well, now he's got it, and he's got it running. And, you know, they may have a, a – Kyle had a 7-6 and six season a few years back. And he, re, he referenced Kyle as far as the reloading thing. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a strong statement that this program can make – if they get minimum eight wins, if they get anything above that, and that's really great. So Kyle winning double-digit games in five of the last six full seasons. Obviously, you can't win double digits when you're only playing five games, so throw that one out. But in five of the last, full, five of the last six full seasons, he's been nine or ten wins. Yes. Those have been good seasons. That's a great run. You go back to, because you were on the beat then, Bronco putting together 43 wins over four years. So the key here is when you play the sophomore quarterback, which you're going to have to do at some point, set that aside as far as judging the depth of the program. We're going to have to watch the games closely, which a lot of us do. If you get a sophomore quarterback who can play at a high level, Max Hall did, then you put together that streak. If you have a sophomore quarterback who can't play at a high level, or gets hurt, and you got to put an even more experienced person in there. You may have a lot of talent, which I think the Utes did in that seven-win season, but they had to play multiple quarterbacks. They played a sophomore most of the games, and he just wasn't ready yet. Now, it paid off his junior year, and it paid off big time his senior year because his junior year he got hurt Yeah, again. but I can't set that apart. No, I'm not going to willing to set that apart. They chose to play a sophomore quarterback. They didn't have to play. They had a senior there who had won a number of games the year before. Yes, so I'm not the Utah, him, Utah did. I'm not giving them a BYU break on that. BYU hit on a sophomore quarterback. Well, they haven't yet. No, with Max Hall in that run I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, but everything was different then. It was. Like, it was. Which, uh, You're in the Mountain West. It's a different era. I get that. You got the five Pac-12 teams plus Baylor plus Virginia plus Boise State. This schedule's different than that schedule. Yeah. So that and and Max Hall had been around a little bit too. So is he the second year sophomore with no experience? Is he a third year kid? Uh, is he? Did he go in the transfer portal? All sorts of stuff that changed Blaine, now. Yeah. Blaine also hit on depth of positions that BYU doesn't usually have depth at, and I think that'll show up, and we'll see if it happens. Now maybe they'll stay. Healthy and we'll never see uh, the depth tested. I, I got to see that though. Uh, yeah, you're just reluctant because to you buy have guys. Doesn't mean you have depth. You're right. You're reluctant to buy, and we'll know. And maybe they have to put some of those guys in, and guys will be running by them, and well, then we'll know it wasn't true. They're going to want to put them in, so that's the idea of a program. Is and Kalani talked about this. I, mean, I think some others have talked about that. Then they slaughtered so many people last year that some kids got on on the field, which I think is what you need to do. So when it comes time for those guys to leave, graduate, go to the NFL, whatever it might be, that you're not starting completely from scratch, which is the good thing that they have at quarterback. And that's what's really good because the quarterback situation for these guys has been sort of funky. And it's actually to their benefit that now, two years ago, Zach Wilson got hurt 
And so Romney can get in there, Hall could get in there, and then Zach plays the entire season last year and was off the charts good. And so then they can draw. So you're not starting something new. If they choose uh, Conover, that's an entirely different story. But if they choose Conover, that means he's beating two guys who have experience. Not not a ton, but at least some. You know, so, There's something there to draw upon, and they're older, and they've been in the program with not the entire offensive staff, because obviously Grimes is there, but now A-Rod becomes, A-Rod's like the Norm Chow guy. And he's been around a long time. So as I feel, as long as you have A-Rod there, you have competence. Even if you change guys around him, don't change him. Keep him there. Do whatever you need to do to keep him there because he is the stabilizing factor of the program offensively, and they've been with him, so they're not starting from complete ground zero, so to speak, and that's that's good. That bodes well for being able to have success this season and not have it be a completely rebuilding year. And Kawhi Leonard, four years, $176 million with the Lakers. Just had David Locke on, and his take on the NBA is basically run it back again. And he's not alone. He pointed out the odds makers, the people who do this for a living and assess this stuff, the co-favorites right now are the Nets and Lakers. Now, will they stay healthy and pull it off? Remains to be seen, but that's where it sits right now. Well, I think the Nets are obvious favorites if they're health, healthy. I'm not so sure about the Lakers. Uh, I get that. Nets, Lakers, Bucks, Warriors, Suns, Clippers, Sixers, Jazz, Nuggets. Jazz down a little bit. When we come back, your feedback coming up. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Feedback of the day is brought to you by the Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Quit spending time sorting pills. Call Ochre Mountain Pharmacy today. Have them sort and deliver your custom prescription blister packs free of charge. Call them at 801-252-1000. 801-252-1000. That's Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Bill Bars doling out cash to BYU scholarship and walk-on football players. How much can this help the Cougars? G-Man says, I'm not sure, but it's one of the coolest, most innovative ideas. Props to Bill Bar for doing something great. You do get bonus points for getting to a good idea first. Now, will it really matter if another school gets to a, a similar idea in a couple of weeks or a month? I think you get bonus points. What you're talking about, this thing is nebulous, you can't put your hands on. It's just like, hey, these guys know what they're doing. They're cutting edge. We got to have them. You're speaking of. You get that for going Bill first. Or BYU or both? Probably both. Because I don't know that the next sponsor will get that kind of run? free media run. And, you know, media being wide open, that could be someone sharing the video on social media. It was a big deal on Twitter. You're more on Instagram more than I am, but it probably was there, too. ESPN.com was playing it up. A bunch of other websites were, too. Well, timing was awesome. Yeah. Great time of year to do it. Yeah, so, Football hasn't started yet. The Olympics are over. It's kind of quiet out there. They had to compete with one baseball game. Well, the second half of soccer season hasn't started yet, and that will be starting up tomorrow. Saturday, but they avoided that. That was good. Let's not have a a Saturday night announcement. That was a bold decision by them. Yeah, yeah. You want to go? First kick's at (laughs) 8.05. Do you think about an 8.30 presser Saturday night? Right. I agree. (laughs) They are having a press conference about it today at 12.30. You going? Uh, I guess so. I don't know. I guess if you want to interview them, although they're they're um, 
their guy was on our show. Our, uh, yeah, Hans and Scotty had Nick yeah, Greer so yesterday. Go listen to that. Co-founder. 1280thezone.com, and you can already hear what he's going to say. Everything you hear on every show live is also available in case you miss it. You're stuck in a meeting, got to do something, you can't listen, you always go back and get it at 1280thezone.com. If you haven't gone back and listened to Joe Ingalls, I would suggest you do. Hear his thoughts on trade rumors blowing up his phone. Jay Hadley tweets at us, this can definitely be helpful. The new NIL rules are going to play a significant role in college football. Recruiting is going to be a lot different. Going to be like free agency? Follow the money. And then if the money's not the same, then you make your choices. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know that you can make your decided at 17, 95%, 98% of the players can decide what money's going to be available. I just don't know that it's going to be something that is out there for everybody. That will be an interesting strategy to see which way schools go. And it's no different than free agency. You know, do you pay a lot of guys 10 to 15 million or do you pay three stars 35 million and everybody else gets yeah, but the minimum? That's not the school's decision. But it can be because BYU helped broker this I deal. I don't think it can be to that level. It's not supposed. Well, originally it was not supposed to be, and now I think all bets are off. I, I don't know where this is going. I, I, it feels like it's going to be wide open. I just open don't know west. somebody's going to make a decision where you're going to go spend the next four or five years based on $2,000. So I like changing money. I wouldn't think that, but is the money about to get a lot bigger? I, I never thought I'd For see... For some, a, yes. I never thought I'd see NBA players making $40 million. Yeah, but that's that level. I know. I I have to approach it if I'm a college or a coach that, uh, hey, we got to recruit the heck out of the kids we want. And, you know, we can use this to our advantage to a degree, but don't be relying on it because you can't slack off on recruiting. It's got to be done daily. And there will still be a big deal assessing where guys are going to be in two, three, four years. The tricky part, projecting what guys are going to turn into. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are up next. Have a good weekend, and we will see you Monday.